Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And the Kingdom of God is a government where there is nobody between you and God. There's no exercising authority between you and God. It's a free place. It's a place where you can be free. But it isn't like some libertarians want to say where there is no rules. There are basic rules. I mean, gravity still applies. Uh, laws of physics still apply. And the laws of nature still apply. And God's laws are built into nature. If you contradict God's laws, bad things happen. It's just built in. Uh, you know, there will be degeneration. And there will be change. And that change will go in a particular way because you decided to go a particular way. And that's what Christianity was. It was called the way. And it was a way in which people organized themselves so that they might be free. And uh, most people don't understand it. So we've done a series lately on narcissism. And in narcissism is, you know, it's all about you. You know, it's about a guy who falls in love, you know, Greek fellow who falls in love with his own re- reflection. And of course, today when we see all the people taking selfies and and people posing in the mirror and taking pictures of themselves, and it's all about them. That's narcissistic. And we we went through all the different characteristics of this thing we call narcissism today. You know, Daniel Goldman said, though they are quick to put others down, unhealthy narcissists view themselves in absolutely positive terms. They don't want to think they've got a problem. You know, there's a reason narcissists don't learn from mistakes. And that's because they never get past the first step, which is to admit that they made one, a mistake. That's Jeffrey uh, Kluger who said that. But So we went through all the characteristics of a narcissist, but I also added to the page on narcissism, I added the audios from last, uh, you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, the the show that we did on narcissism, and this is all part of the structure of the kingdom, because the structure of the kingdom has to be in your heart and in your mind. And if you're narcissistic, that changes the structure of your heart and your mind, the way you're wired, the way you think. And so, I gave you know eight reasons or eight things to focus on if you don't want your child to grow up to be narcissistic. And what I've done now is I've gone there. If you're seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, those eight things will manifest themselves in a particular logical, reasonable pattern. And uh, your whole nation will not become this narcissistic state, which is what we see. Tacitus said, the more laws, the more corrupt society well, how do you get more laws? People want to regulate everybody else. They want to make laws. They want to make rules. And that's not a good thing because they're, in order for you to make a rule, you're immediately taking away the rights of somebody else. And if you're making rules, 
then those same rules will be used to take away your rights, which is exactly what Christ said, as you judge, so shall ye be judged. That's built in to nature, built into creation. So if you're doing some of these things that would lead you to be narcissistic or allowing your children to do things that would allow them to become narcissistic um, or have these narcissistic tendencies. I mean, obviously, we have this thing we call uh, uh, narcissism, and uh, usually that's a term reserved for somebody who has a narcissistic personality disorder. These That's just the extremes of narcissism. Everybody's a little narcissistic. Everybody is a little bit selfish, a little bit self-centered and focused on themselves. And if you're not, then you probably have some other problem in another direction. We talked about virtue and vices. Virtue is a positive force in nature where you are following a pattern that is a positive pattern that produces fruit. Vice is simply the absence of those things we call virtue. The same as light is the presence of, you know, protons and waves or whatever, however you want to do it. Light can appear to be a wave or a particle. But, so it acts both ways. But the fact is, light is a positive force in the universe, while darkness is simply the absence of light. So virtue is the positive force of creation operating in your life and in the life of your society. While vice is the evidence of darkness. We're lacking virtue. So narcissism is something that actually blocks out. It it becomes narrow-mindedly focused on yourself. And so therefore you begin to cut yourself off from those things that we would call virtuous. And that creates vice as the alternative. It's just automatic. If you don't have virtue, you will have vice. If you don't have light, you will have darkness. It is simply what comes about when you take away certain elements of creation. And so that's, that's what, how you avoid the narcissism. And we could, we could go down a lot of other different types of, uh, personality disorders. But that is at least the absence of some personality order. You know, we, what would Christ do? Are we like Christ? Well, that, Christ has a personality. We call it the name of Christ. If you do something in the name of Christ, you're doing it in the character of Christ. That's what it means to do something in the name of Christ. You're putting on the personality or allowing God, this creative force in the universe, it's all around us everywhere. You're allowing that creative force to operate in you. And you will take on the personality of Christ, the personality of God. This is what it means to be made in the image of God. If you remake yourself in another image according to another personality, according to another character, according to another name, we will have a different result. We will not have life more abundant. We will have something less than life more abundant. And we will even have death. So, seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness is a process that requires perseverance, because Christ said persevere. It requires that you strive, yet you never obtain it because of your own efforts. 
it comes as a blessing. But faith is something that compels action. And so, and this is why Christ says, it's not those who just say, Lord, Lord, or say, I believe in Jesus, but those who are actually doing the will of the Father. That doesn't mean that you're earning salvation, but the fact that you're doing the will of the Father is evidence of the light of the Father shining in you. If you're getting angry, if you're getting impatient, if you're getting frightened, if you're uh, getting selfish, all that is evidence that Christ is not in you. And that's a good thing to see that. Because the narcissist doesn't see that. He doesn't want to admit that, well, I may not be perfect. He wants to imagine himself as perfect and without fault and without error. And if he does admit to error, it's only because he is so proud of his humility. So anyway, so how do we translate those eight things that I listed off and they're all on our pages at Preparing You? And uh, how do we how do we convert those over to uh, social or social economic or social social uh, activities and virtues that will cause society not to become narcissistic? Well, the first one is the National Network of Fervent Charity Promotes and Teaches Empathy. If you have to be concerned about others as much as you are concerned about yourself, then you have to do things that would practice that personality trait. And so Christ said, sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Christ said, love thy neighbor as thyself. Forgive thy brother, make peace with thy brother, all these things so that you can love one another. When And that word love is also translated charity. Be charitable to one to another. Which is really important because you're also not supposed to covet your neighbor's goods. You're not to eat at the table of unbelievers. You're not to be praying for the free bread of Rome. You're supposed to be taking care of one another. So... Right away, if you don't sit down in that tens, hundreds, and thousands, and give regularly to your local group, you're, you're the minister of your choice, and you get to pick whoever you want to give to. And really, to some degree, you get to pick the amount you want to give, but you need to give. And the reality is, is like your heart beats every minute. Many times a minute, maybe 60, 70 times a minute. When you run, it's going to beat faster, because there's a greater demand. But even when you're sleeping and doing nothing, the heart is beating. And so, if you gather together in a congregation of people, you wouldn't want to not give. Because giving is, freely giving is how you freely receive. And you do not freely receive unless you freely give. Which is why Christ commanded that all his uh, disciples make the people, the people weren't disciples, the disciples were disciples, and it was to make those people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, organize themselves, so that they could use that organization to love one another. That organization is not an entity unto itself. These are free souls under God. They're not creating a corporate state. They're just freely assembling, which is why we see that word freely assemble and congregate over and over again in the Bible. Because that, and not forsake the gathering together. Well, these are free assemblies. The assembly only exists as long as you are together. When you leave, you're no longer in an assembly. That allows you freedom. 
So when you come back the second time or the third time or the fourth time, it's always choice. When you give, it's always choice. When you decide who to give to, it's always your choice. But give you must. You must sacrifice today so that you can pick up tomorrow. You must lay down your life so that you can pick up your life more abundant. So the second thing I had listed, a daily ministration requires character traits like honesty and kindness. Uh, those have to be held as valuable parts of your personality. You have to tell the truth. You have to tell the truth about yourself. You have to tell the truth about other people. People will say, oh, well, we don't want to talk about that because that upsets these people. No, you won't be doing that in the kingdom. You'll be able to speak the truth and speak your mind and speak what you see and say. And do it out loud. Because there's freedom of speech in the kingdom of God. Especially if you're back in that fervent charity mode where you love one another. Number three... Which, you know, I say in number three for the individual, no entitlement. Children have chores. They have to earn their allowance. They don't just get it. But in number three for the nation, no entitlements. It says that again. Having to ask to receive promotes humility. That's why Jesus says, ask and you shall receive. That's why asking is praying is all about. You get, you have to admit, I need help. I need help over here. That's an important position to take. Uh, that's So that's number three. So you have to, you know, you don't just automatically get a check. You have to say, I have a need. I, I don't have enough. I, I'm going hungry and I'm, my kids are going hungry because I need help. Very important position. Number uh, four is regular and religious sacrifice in order to qualify, uh, promotes charity over greed. It, it is the greed is the absence of charity. Greed is the absence of love. And so the so you have to practice that charity in order to. Uh, create the flow of life back to you. Now people say, oh, Jesus did away with the sacrifice. He did away with the sacrifice to the Pharisees, you know, the killing of sheep and all that stuff, and we've already talked about that. The Pharisees were doing that. The Essenes were not, because the Essenes knew that's not what the text was talking about, piling up stones and killing sheep and setting them on fire. That was That's a metaphor. It was never intended to be some sort of mindless, bloody ritual. Uh, you know, that's why even Paul talks about being circumcised or being uncircumcised, where you uncircumcise, well, you don't uncircumcise yourself. And, but they talk about circumcision of heart, because that's really what you're supposed to be doing is getting the circumcision of the heart. In other words, it's not all about you. It's not all about your pleasure. It's not all about your, your gratification. But it's about the gratification and satisfaction and, and service to others. So you can't have that if you don't have some sacrifice. But again, your sacrifice does not earn you a place in the kingdom. But it's part, you know, of that process. Just like your heartbeat is necessary even when you're sleeping. 
you're setting up the flow of life. You're laying down your life daily so that you can pick up your life more abundantly. Built into the system. Built into the system to bless you. So, number five is assisting those, you know, especially elderly and infirm people who are unlikely to return a favor. Because, I mean, you can help those who love you and help those that are nearby and then they can help you and that's all great. But you have to be willing to help those that are not likely to be able to ever help you. Because it's not enough that you just love those who love you. You have to love people who don't even know you. And that sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands makes that possible. It also creates a nation of people with a common personality, which is the personality of Christ. So again, some of this is overlapping, but we put a look at it just the same as, you know, spokes of a wheel or somewhat overlapping. They all meet in the same place, but they're going in a slightly different direction out to the, you know, from the hub to the uh, rim. So you sacrifice with only the hope of return. That's why faith, hope, and charity is so important. That charity is the sacrifice. The hope is that it comes back to you. Faith is you believe it enough that you actually act upon that premise. So you sacrifice with only the hope of return or a reward which causes an ennobling of your own heart. Because you're actually walking in the ways of Christ. And you'll find that difficult at times. And then that helps you to repent even more. So number seven is attend to the weightier matters. uh, Which offers uh, protection of society. So you have to care about law, judgment, mercy and faith. Not only for yourself but for others. For the rest of the community. And that also puts you in a certain way of thinking, a certain mindset that will hopefully bless you if you are sincere in what you're doing. And the last thing is the daily practice of forgiveness and compassion will promote mercy for all of society. And we talked in a couple of programs lately about the fact that uh, I don't know if I put the links yet there on that page, but I talked about courts and courts in the kingdom. And there are courts in the kingdom, but it's not like the courts of the world. So when I say that, a person has to be careful. The same as when I, I talk about religion. I, I mentioned religion in a Facebook post, and a guy says, a guy wrote back, and I, I don't have a lot of contact with a guy. He's a local guy, and he said, you know, Gregory, you're one of the smartest men I know. Which, I mean, I don't hardly know him, so I guess that's kind of a rumor going around. <laughs> but I do know him. I've known him since he was a little kid. And, you know, I interact with the people in the local community, and so I, I end up getting that reputation. But it's really because I, I'm outspoken. I actually speak my mind, and I do my homework. And so I actually find out things, and I'm, so I'm always able to say something that nobody's heard before, and they, they suddenly think you're really smart. I really, I know men have a much higher IQ than myself. Uh, you know, I'm not a dummy, but uh, I'm very dyslexic. So I'm not really that smart, but I'm, you know, but I'm a man who speaks as if I'm a man of authority. Yet I'm not bossing anybody around. But I said something in a post about religion, and he says, but why do you bring in religion? You know, and uh, 
wait a minute. Uh, you know, somebody had posted an article in the in the thread that referred to one of my articles, and so I, which was one I wrote for News Reviews, and I've written a, others that are at His Holy Church, and still others that are at Preparing You dot com, and so I shared the link to one of those, and. I said, read the article, because he came back and he says, you know, why are you talking about religion? I know what I believe. I don't need... Wait a minute. The article said, the article was, you know, that word you use, religion. It's about the word religion and the meaning of the word. Because people keep using that word, and that word does not mean what you think it means. Now, it may mean it to you when you say religion that may mean you think well catholic lutheran protestant methodist it's what i think about god and if you looked it up in a dictionary today it would say something what you think about a supreme being but the reality is is that's not what the word originally meant that's because public religion isn't what you think about god yet there's something called public religion and uh, it's actually in the Greek threskia, which means what you do. What you do in relationship to what? Religion. Well, what is religion? What is pure religion? Pure religion is taking care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society. So that's what pure religion is. So that's what religion is. It's taking care of the needy. It's not pure if you if your religion is spotted by the world. What does that mean? Well, the word world there is constitutional order and system of government. And you've all heard this, that if you're depending upon men who exercise authority one over the other to provide you with benefits, you're not going to be free. That's just cause and effect. If you judge it's okay to take from others, then evidently it's okay to take from you. And And that's built in. So, if you think religion is what you think, has nothing to do with what you do. You just threw Christ out of your religion because Christ said it's not what you say. It's not even what you think, but it's what you do. He who does the will of my Father is my brother and my mother. If you're not doing the will of the Father, then you're not a part of his family. He may still love you unconditionally, but you're not a part of his family. You're, you've, you're like the prodigal son who left. You took your inheritance and you left. You have to come back and want to do things his way in order to come back. You can't just say, I'm coming back because I say I want to do things. You know, Christ had an old proverb about that, a story about that. You know, where he had two sons and he says, go do this in the field. One said, yeah, I'll do it. But he didn't go do it. And the other one said he would, wouldn't do it. But then he repented and said, you know, I really ought to do it. Dad wanted it done. He went and did it. So, there you have the two different sons. Which one is the son? What is the right to son? I heard a guy talking about, you know, uh, this whole idea of, of God and uh, and uh, following, you know, God's way and, and all this stuff. And he says, God loves you no matter what. He loves you no matter, as you are. He loves you as you are. Wait a minute. Not necessarily. Now, you have to interpret the word love there. And you. I mean, when you say you, what do you mean you? We know God hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And he talks about 
people who say they believe in Jesus, but he says, I'm going to tell them, get you from me. I know you're not. He may love them, but that's what he's going to tell them. Get you from me. I know you're not. So, that may not, you may not think that's love, but it actually is. He requires that you do certain things certain ways. He gives you all kinds of freedom, but he also requires that you look at and do certain things certain ways. And that's just the way God operates. So, and it's built into the system. God built it into the system from the beginning. And if you don't want to see that, it doesn't change the reality of it. So this is why it's so important to have the honor and truth in your heart about everything and that you live according to the ways of Christ, which means that you're willing to lay down your life for your fellow man and so that you can pick up your life more abundant. So you have all these different characteristics of Christ and they need to also be in you. It's a part of the deal that they are in you. Those characteristics. So, and Cicero talks, Tacitus talks about the people who make all these laws and then they don't keep those laws. Because the laws are not, basically, like Christ says, written on your heart and written on your mind. So anyway, you have this uh, sacrifice with only the hope of return. And then the next one was attend to the weightier matters, which is law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Not just for yourself, but for others. And the final thing is the daily practice of forgiveness and compassion will promote mercy for all of society. And this is why the guys who ran the appeals courts in Judea or Israel were the guys who uh, were in charge of a system of charity. That's what the Levites were in charge. They weren't burning up sheep. They were taking these uh, objects of sacrifice and they were being sacrificed by the people, giving them, freely giving them. And then the Levites could redistribute so that, you know, the poor didn't starve and so that the needy were taken care of. And this is just part of the process. You're either going towards the light or you're going away from the light. You're either going towards and striving towards virtue or you're trying to flee the responsibilities of virtue. Which is one of the reasons why I've talked about Jordan Peterson. Basically, and I heard somebody mocking him and making fun because he's kind of an emotional guy. And okay, it's a little funny, but the reality is... is You know, his basic message is take back the responsibility for yourself, for your family, for your neighborhood, for your nation. Not a bad message. You, it doesn't take away your freedom. It's just saying you need to be responsible. Where you care about others as much as you care about yourself. So anyway, that's, that's the process of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And uh, avoiding the narcissistic state. So anyway, we went through that. We um, are going to have to take a break here uh, in a couple of minutes. And then I want to move on to some other topics that are in the news. And uh, uh, coming up, somebody was asking me some questions. I mean, we're 
we, you know, we had earthquakes off the coast of Oregon, but we're having a big shakeup in Oregon. <laughs> the governor is sending out the state troopers to go out and arrest the Senate and force them to come into the Senate and vote on a bill because if they don't have all the guys there, they can't really vote. And if they can't vote, they can't pass these draconian bills. So she's out trying to bring uh, them in by force of, you know, men with guns. She's sending out men with guns to collect the Senate and bring them in. There's actually another solution. And, and what they're doing is they're trying to get out of the state and hide out out of the state so that they can't be forced because the state troopers have no jurisdiction in another state. And then eventually they'll have to adjourn and they won't pass all these things. Well, they've already passed a bunch of stuff. And you want to roll it all back? You want to change it all? Well, we'll tell you a little bit of how to do that. But I'm only doing it for educational purposes. Because really I want you to be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Which is sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And start learning what it means to care about one another as much as you care about yourself. But anyway, we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Stay tuned. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So some of the news items that we saw this week is uh, Kyle uh, Cashew was... Uh, who was one of the boys that was, uh, he just went to the school where there was a shooting down in Florida, and he came out, and pro-Second Amendment guy, and very articulate and everything. But he was 16 years old, and they got on a forum with a bunch of other kids that were trying to gross each other out and say stuff. They thought it was all closed for them. But it ended up that somebody took some screenshots and then made those screenshots public. Years later... Uh, you know, this was something that went on before the shooting, uh, you know, when he was just 16. And he was ashamed of it, and he was embarrassed by it. But he owned up to it, and he apologized. And But what they did was, when they made it public, they went after him and got him booted out of, um, I guess it was Harvard. He was going to go to Harvard. And... Uh, and, and some people, some, one person was saying, it should go to a black, uh, underprivileged kid because, uh, because the thing that he said was kind of racist and everything. But it was kids saying stuff that they were ashamed of later. And kids do that. And it was a bunch of kids just trying to outdo each other by saying stuff. And, uh, it, it wasn't really his character. Kids are often trying to find their character. And anyway, it was when he was 16. And it's not his position now. And he apologized. But they took his scholarship away. And they said it should go to some underprivileged black kid. Uh, he shouldn't get it just because he's outspoken. Well, he didn't get it just because he's outspoken. Uh, his scores on SAT tests were 1550. That's high. His uh, GPA is, uh, what is it, 5.345. I mean, that's pretty high uh, score. Uh, so... You know, he's a smart kid, and he got in on merit. But they took it away from him because he said something when he was a kid on a closed forum with a bunch of guys. I could, I could bet you just about everybody on the Board of Regents and about uh, half of the graduates all did something or said something that they're ashamed of. They just didn't get caught. And so... You know, they should have just let it go. And some of them were willing to just let it go. But there was this pressure to try to 
you know, do them in and uh, put an end to, you know, kind of make them suffer. It was the auto de fe, as they say in French, you know, you know we're going to set somebody on fire, burn them at the stake, the stake of public opinion. And they had to make it hurt, and they don't care. Justice is not in them, and so they're not going to give give him justice. But this is all part of a spirit that is becoming pervasive throughout society. And I give you a lot more dramatic examples, you know. And like I said, Tacitus said, the more laws, the more corrupt society. And that's because the making of laws is trying to regulate other people, try to take away the choices of other people, take away the liberty of other people to make choices. And and to punish them, that's another aspect of that spirit, to punish them when they don't do things the way you think they ought to be done. Well, you go around making these rules and you're going to go under those rules. As you judge, so shall you be judged. So the more laws, the more you're going to lose freedom for yourself. And I also shared a, a video of uh, Diane Feinstein, and I thought it was amazing because in the background of was standing there while she was saying this was Janet Reno. But Diane Feinstein was saying all the things about, you know, protecting the borders and, you know, shouldn't get welfare and all this stuff. And uh, she was saying this a few years ago, but now all of a sudden she is saying something completely different and condemning Trump for saying exactly what she said before Obama said what Trump says, Dianne Feinstein said what Trump says, uh, Bill Clinton said what Trump says, but they all want to condemn him now for saying what they used to say because they have no standard. Now, they say that we've changed and we've grown, but actually the problem is worse now than before. Now, from a kingdom point of view, I don't think you need a wall. But if you're going to have a socialist state and hand out millions, billions of dollars in socialism to these unregistered immigrants, they're going to break the bank. And, of course, we've given you shows and showed you that certain liberals or, you know, socialists, actually communists in the United States working for universities, still getting awards at uh, the Obama White House, said this was the plan, to break the country by getting as many people on welfare as they possibly can. And people will say, well, illegal immigrants can't collect welfare. Not true. And I just put up on our welfare page at Preparing You a video that will go step by step to government statistics and show you how much they do. What you're doing is you're attracting people that are perfectly okay with being on welfare love socialism, love communism, they're coming here, and they're just taking advantage of the system. You're weakening them. You're not strengthening them with these systems, but you're also weakening the whole of your society. This is the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, and this is why you're seeing the things, you know, the homelessness and the tent cities living on the streets. And people actually think that capitalism, there's something wrong with it, and they're actually saying, well, capitalism is failing. You can see that. No, it's not capitalism that's failing. It's the socialist policies. I actually heard a preacher say that uh, can you be a socialist and a Christian? No, you can't. He said yes. He's wrong. You can't because you're coveting your neighbor's goods. You're doing the opposite of what Christ said. You're saying, Lord, Lord, but you're still a worker of iniquity. 
because you want to take from your neighbor to get benefits. You don't want to take a bite out of your neighbor so that you can get benefits. This is completely contrary to the teachings of Christ. And so, yeah, you can't be, you know, a socialist and a Christian. They they just don't, you can't be loving your neighbor while at the same time you want to take from your neighbor at the point of a gun. And that's that's the problem with socialism is that it uses force to, to extract the contributions of the people or if they run people into debt, they're going to use force on your children and your grandchildren to pay that debt back. So, yeah, that's, that is not Christian and you're actually a worker of iniquity. You're returning everybody to the bondage of Egypt and it's worse now than it was then. But there's a secondary effect that goes on. Uh, you're going to have family breaking down because you're, you're not dependent upon family. You're dependent upon the government and the government becomes your new father. Call no man on earth father. That's what you're doing when you're looking to the government to take from your neighbor to provide you with benefits. That the state is doing that under the power of Patronus, the Our Father who art in Washington D.C., Our Father who art in Rome, and we have articles that preparing you that explain that in great detail. But what happens when you start doing that is the family breaks down. I mean, it's very clear with the welfare mothers who, if the husband's at home, you don't get as much money. If he's gone. Then you get the money. And you can still have him as a live-in boyfriend because, I mean, where are you going to get the next child to get a bigger check? So you're out there becoming a breeding machine, having child after child with different fathers. The fathers are out of the picture because the state is your father. And what happens? These children are raised... I actually heard a preacher talking about that he, you know, his his dad was there for him. He grew up with his dad. And he did real well. Because, the, uh, you know, in his life, supposedly, although I went on to hear some of what he was preaching, and he's inaccurate in some of the stuff, but he's probably a pretty good guy. And the actual statistics are, if you have the presence of a father and mother at home when you're growing up, odds are you're going to be way better off. And I came across an interesting statistic. Eleven teens die every day. Due to texting while driving. Eleven teenagers die every day due to texting while driving. That's almost twice the number of children that are shot and killed every day. And when I say children, I'm talking from zero to nineteen. You know, that, that's what they count as children, 0 to 19. So you're even t- counting 19-year-olds because it's teenagers and on down. There's, there's almost twice as many just between the ages of about 16 and 19 that die because they're texting while driving. And they did an interesting study on the people who text while they drive, the kids especially who text while they drive. They're also the kids more likely not to put on a safety belt They're more likely to speed. They're more likely to take drugs. They're more likely to drop out of school. And the one thing they almost all have in common, no strong father in the house. They're more likely, you know, we know that the frontal lobe that tells you repercussions doesn't doesn't really come into effect until, you know, you're in your 20s or even in your 30s. 
And so that's why young men will jump out of airplanes. But uh, the reality is one of the things that contribute to that is the breakdown of the family. You don't have a father in your household. And I, I wondered about that, and they didn't really have any good answers as to why that is. Well, one thing I could see right off is fathers roughhouse with their kids. And that that makes them, you know, I know somebody who had a terrible father beat him and everything. And he just is still to this day, I mean, he's in his 50s, almost 60s. He's still taking unbelievable risks all the time. And it has to do with his his upbringing. There's just no two ways about it. That's why he went and thinks that way. So now, if your father is the father in heaven and you have a natural father who is a part of your life and everything is according to nature, that's going to have an effect on the way in which you think. It's going to wire you in a particular way. So, you know, like I say, if the father's not in the home, he's going to be a greater risk taker, more likely to drink, more likely to take drugs, more likely to have dangerous sexual activity. In other words, you might get pregnant. So this goes for girls and boys. And uh, they're more likely to accept socialism. Yeah. that's Isn't that amazing? If there's not a father in the home. And, and you know, that's the other thing is that uh, the Democrats want to have uh, this uh, voter things where they're going to let Criminals vote uh, in prison. Felons in prison vote. Well, that's because the vast majority of people who are in prison, if you went down and said, are you Democrat or Republican? Most of them are Democrats. Isn't that amazing? I mean, the statistical average is way beyond what it should be. And then, of course, they're bringing in the aliens because they're going to vote Democrat. Because South America is a very socialist nation. They have a lot of socialist ideas. Well, that's why it's having such trouble. That's why it's having such difficulty. It, 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 you know, and so many of it's, you know, look at the collapse in Argentina, uh, Chile. Uh, the economic problems all stem back to their socialist approach to things. It was capitalism that made America so uh, fabulously wealthy and capitalism in itself is not what does it but that created an environment in which people had to exercise responsibility for themselves and their families and for their community and that's what made them stronger what's making them weak is they're taking that necessary acting of responsibility you don't have to take care of the poor anymore the government will do it Yeah, if your husband leaves don't worry about it we'll send you a check uh, you don't have to work things out with fear and trembling. We'll just send you a check, guaranteed entitlements, all these things that make you more and more and weaken you. And we talked about that in Polybius and all this stuff. So what does this have to do with the problem in Oregon and the governor sending out state troopers to arrest the senators and congressmen? Well, about 11 senators and I, I don't know how many others are backing out of, they're, they're leaving and they're not sitting down in the Capitol to vote. And they're actually getting out of the state. And so they can't be arrested and forced to come back because they can't have the vote if these guys aren't there. And they say, oh, we want you back to do your job. But they're doing it because of these draconian bills are going to huge rises in taxes. And so I, I, I said to one person, you know, we don't, we don't need 
so they have a petition to recall the governor. And if they get 100,000, they had over 50,000 votes the first day, or, you know, signatures. If they get over 100,000, I think it is, I'm not sure what the, the break-off is, somewhere around that, then they can have a recall. But then they still have to have the vote. And we still have voter fraud just lurking all around us all the time. And I'm not convinced that she wouldn't win again because of the minds of your youth and the people out there have been so gobbled up by this socialism. But there's actually something else that you can use to get rid of the people that you think are passing these draconian bills. And uh, so I mentioned it, which is Article 2, Section 22 of the Oregon Constitution. And so I, I mentioned that in a post on Facebook. You know, I'm not a political activist in another country because I'm pretty much foreign because I'm an ordained minister of the church and the church and the state are separate. So I'm not a part of the state and so I don't really think that I should be meddling in that. I, I don't have any objection to other people voting, especially if they're voting in self-defense. But the church is not a political action committee <laughs> in other people's governments. It's a different form of government and it should be going about the business of Christ. Well, one of the things that is the business of Christ is uh, teaching the people because the people lack knowledge. So what do we do to um, increase that knowledge so that you understand the kingdom sometimes overlaps and also helps you understand the governments that you're in. So we, we will look at these things and see what's what and how this all works. Okay, there it is. Article 2 of Oregon Constitution. And uh, that particular is entitled uh, Suffrage and Election and consists of 22 sections. So it's the last section in that. And that section has four paragraphs. And basically, you know, it's, it's talking about for the purposes of campaigns for uh, an elected public office that the candidates may use and uh, direct only contributions which originate from individuals who are at the time of their donation were residents of the electoral district of the public office sought. Now, they are, they can accept some donations from outside of their district and if they're running for a state office from outside the state. But those donations must be less than 10%. And that's covered in uh, paragraph two. And so if they, if they Take donations, more than 10% of the donations come from outside the states, from people who are not residents of the state of Oregon. And, you know, once you make over $700 in donations, all the money is supposed to go through a particular account. You know, if they collect a million dollars for running their campaign and they only spend a half a million dollars, guess what? They get to keep the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they, it's their money. They can they can leave it in the account. They can spend it on whatever they want. They can go buy a house with it. 
They can do it whatever they want. And that's what, of course, that's why there are 22 Democrats running for president of the United States. Because all the money they collect, whatever they don't spend, <laughs> they get to keep. And uh, so anyway, the reality is most of the uh, people who are elected and the, the, the statistics I have gotten from people that are in government, most of them have violated the 10% rule. So what happens if you violate the 10% rule? What what do we do with you? <laughs> well, it says a qualified donor, an individual who is a resident within the elected district, etc., etc. Section 1 uh, is specified in Section 1. From an unqualified donor to the purposes of contributing to the candidate's campaign for elected public office. An unqualified donor an entity which is not an individual and who is not a resident of the electoral district of the office sought by the candidate shall not uh, give any restricted contributions uh, of Section 1 to a qualified donor for the purposes of contributing to a candidate's campaign. But anyway... They have to vacate their office if they have done that. And most of them have done that. If they try to stay in office, then you can kick them out of the office because they are actually trespassing. Not only can they not stay in the office, they can't even run for office. If you read paragraph 2, I think it is. They can't run for public office for at least two terms. And so if it's a two-year term, they can't run for four years. If it's a four-year term, they can't run for office again for eight years. Well, this is virtually for Oregon. This is their Concord and Lexington. It's been taken up to the uh, Secretary of State and to the uh, Attorney General of the State, and they aren't doing anything about it. I don't know how to enforce this. They don't want to enforce it because, I mean, some of those positions are elected. It would literally over, and not only would remove a huge number of people from office, roll back everything they passed so far this year, but they would have to have another election. And everything that they have already passed into law is not law. It just backs it all away because the people voting were holding the office illegally. It's just like you had some sort of somebody personating the governor and signing things as if they were the governor, but they're not the governor. And this is the Oregon Constitution. They can't just change this. It's been in there since the 1990s, and it's been looked at by the Supreme Court. And so, will can you? How how do you force them out since the people who are in charge won't keep their own rules? Well, I'm sure there are lawyers a lot smarter than me. One thing I can imagine is that you file for a writ of mandamus to make the people remove them from the office. You get the state troopers. <laughs> you know, you get a court order says that, no, the governor can't stay in the office because she isn't duly elected. And you send the state troopers in to have her arrested <laughs> if she doesn't leave the office because she's trespassing. And if uh, you get a court order saying you have to leave, then she's in violation of the court order. And so you can charge her for that, the contempt of court. 
for every day that she tries to stay in office and sign fake bills that aren't real bills because the people who voted them in aren't really in their offices because they violated that. And it's very easy to violate that. Uh, I know people that actually had to go and check to see if, did I violate that? Because if you, if you were running for a county office and somebody who wasn't resident in that county contributed to your, your, uh, campaign, and that amounted to more than 10% of the contributions, whoa, suddenly, you, you, you have to vacate that office. So they went and checked right away when they realized that was part of the Oregon Constitution. But you need people that are actually willing to do something. So what I told some people who are asking me, what you do is exactly what Christ said. You organize in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. You get the most uh, gung-ho guys at the top, the people you can trust the most. Because right away, you're go- we're talking billions of dollars are not going to go into the hands of somebody's or somebody's pocket if you do this. It's, it's, you're literally overturning a fake government. It also makes everything they do illegal, which, biblically speaking, wow, that has long-range consequences. But you organize, you gotta do your homework, you gotta go, all this information is public knowledge, but you gotta put it together in a case. You're gonna need some people with illegal minds and who can take the time to do this, and they probably have to be paid. So you're gonna to need to take donations and, uh, and, but it's, this is, this is way cheaper. You don't have to take a vote. They're just out of office. And, you know, it's kind of like when the doctors go on strike, there's less death. <laughs> people stop dying because an awful lot of people die from medical mistakes. But the reality is, is that I think that if somebody, if I was in that government, that's what I would do. I would work really hard to see to it that that uh, the law is followed because they're not following their own rules. They're not following their own laws. And this is the problem, is that the lawless rule the lawless. And because nobody's paying it, they're making these rules, but nobody's keeping the rules. So anyway, it's time that people repent, turn around, go the other way, seek the kingdom. But a couple of diehard guys might just find that's a good way to get together and find out who's trustworthy. Till then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.